0: You always gotta be a little bit wary of someone who's selling you something that starts quoting the Bible and then doesn't really explain to you what it is that the Bible is trying to say here. It's like he's trying to slide in a little bit of like evidence of his morality. Like, of course you can trust what I say because I read the Bible. <laughs> Hello, friends. I found a video from one of our favorite financial strategists, Doug Andrew, who is talking about real estate. And as a real estate guy myself, I thought I should take a look and maybe make some comments about it to see if it is all on the up and up. Before we get into the video, though, make sure you destroy that like button for the YouTube algorithm. It helps us out tremendously. All we're trying to accomplish is spreading this financial information, not selling anything, Like unlike our friend Doug Andrew. So make sure you like and subscribe so more people can get the good word about good smart finances and not be sold on some kind of scam. So the video we're looking at today is how to best invest in real estate. Uh, I'd love to find out what an IUL salesman has to say about uh, invest.
1: Hello again. In this episode, we are going to address how to best invest in real estate. Now, this is a controversial topic because sometimes people think that the best way is to pay cash for a piece of real estate. But I assure you that some of the wealthiest people in America and the world do not pay cash for real estate. When they see a skyscraper or a building that they want to buy, they will turn to their money manager and go, what's the least amount? of money that we can tie up to gain access or control of this building. They want to stay liquid. So.
0: All right, so right off the bat, he's not entirely wrong. Um, It's my biggest beef with Dave Ramsey is that he wants people to own their house outright. And uh, I mean, the numbers just don't support that and Like, I just don't see the peace of mind part he's really talked, like Dave Ramsey really talks about here. It's like, you know, when you get your loan paid off, there's peace of mind. The problem is, is costs always exist. And as long as you're in a position where you have to have a job in order to pay for your costs of living, even if you have a mortgage paid off, You're not really in financial peace, and I don't understand how you could have peace of mind knowing that you're dependent on this single job. So in my opinion, I like financial peace in the sense of how do I get my investments to cover my cost of living? It doesn't really matter what the actual cost of living is. If my investments produce like a million dollars a year, which they don't, but if they did, then I can pay for any lifestyle under a million dollars a year. It doesn't matter if I have a mortgage or not. That's the kind of financial piece I'm into. So Doug isn't necessarily wrong. He's kind of knocking on Dave Ramsey by calling it controversial there. I mean, at least Dave Ramsey's view, paying off your home as a controversial topic. But as far as wealthy people, he's right. When wealthy people buy real estate, they try their best not to lock up too much money into that real estate. They want to find a way to buy it with the least amount of money and the lowest interest rate possible. And um, he's not wrong. All right, let's get back.
1: I'm going to teach you how to use safe positive leverage in this video. The ability to own and control assets with very little or none of your money tied up or at risk in that asset and this will have a transformational change in your financial situation over 10, 20, 30 years. This is where my 2 sons in less than ten years had net worths of one point six million dollars by buying real estate the proper way.
0: I'm gonna go out on a limb and say that they got most of that money through sales tactics, seeing as that's what they do. And they also, you know, were able to buy houses as a result of that income. I don't I don't have any information to suggest that, but it seems weird to me that he he kind of he said, leveraged real estate is how my sons became wealthy, but like We know that they have jobs. We know that they're salespeople. He even brags about how much his sons have sold. So, not exactly sure how
1: that makes sense. So, there are three things you can do with money. You can spend it, lend it, or own with it. I guess you could give it away. But see, most... I don't think he ever does. People think, well, the best thing would be to own. I agree. But actually, money in a lended position can also earn you great rates of return. When people ask me, Doug, what do you do? I own and loan on the same asset. And it makes exponentially higher uh, growth of my money. So I mentioned that there are some miracles or marvels of wealth accumulation. The first is compound interest. And this is where our money can continue to double and quadruple and so forth. A dollar doubling uh, 20 times to $2 to 4 to 8 to 16 to 32 will be worth a million dollars after it doubles 20 times. That's compound interest.
0: That is compound interest. You, you can't double a dollar 20 times in your lifetime, though. That, that's never going to happen. But yeah, we talked about that several episodes ago, and I talk about a lot, power of compound interest. So he's, he's right on so far.
1: I prefer compounding tax-free rather than taxed as earned, which I t-
0: We've We've had beef with this one. I prefer compounding tax-free unless, of course, I'm going to take such a tremendous hit on my com- compounding that it takes away you know, any benefit I get from being tax-free. Right, then I don't want it to be tax free. I'd rather find a way to be penalized as least as possible. So if taxes is the least penalty I can take, then I'll take the taxes. If it's you know, if I if I turn around and pay like, you know, more in fees to a salesperson in order to produce something that ends up costing me, gives me huge opportunity costs to the point where it no longer really saves me money from taxes. Uh, you know, that's not a benefit to me. At the end of the day, I'm trying to maximize stuff, not not minimize stuff just for the sake of avoiding taxes.
1: Each in another episode. But the third marvel or miracle of wealth accumulation is what I call safe, positive leverage. Now,
0: everybody calls it leverage. Safe and positive is just descriptive words on leverage. Like do leverage safely, which is what we do on this channel. You know, but he likes to call it that, which is what it's called. So it's good that he likes to call it that.
1: What does that mean? To me, it is as simple as the parable of the talents in the Bible. In the New Testament, Matthew chapter 25 or Luke 19 is the parable of the pounds. Where really in that parable, the harshest words spoken, they weren't even spoken to the woman taken in adultery where thou wicked and slothful servant. I'm going to take it away from you the one that buried his talent and I'm going to give it to the one who has 10. Well, what did the one with 10 do? Doubled their talents from 5 to 10. One had 2 and doubled to 4. How did they do that? See, money works this way.
0: You always got to be a little bit wary of someone who's selling you something that starts quoting the Bible and then doesn't really explain to you what it is that the Bible's trying to say here. It's like he's trying to slide in a little bit of like evidence of his morality, like of course you can trust what I say because I read the Bible. Uh, uh, uh. So here's what the parable of the talent says. There were three servants. Two of them went off and invested their master's money in some way, shape, or form. It's not clear as to what was done, but they came back with more than they started with. The last person was so uh, nervous that they buried the money in the sand. And then when the master came back years later, brought it back up and said, look, I was scared to lose it. So I buried it in the sand. Um, and the master chided that servant for having done that. So what he's saying here is like, if you're gonna be biblical, you have to invest. I don't think there's anything wrong with saying that. I don't know how that has anything to do with leverage, and I'm a fan of leverage. There's nothing in that parable that's like, you know, servant A went out and took this giant loan out against this master's property and then invested the, the, the proceeds from that loan, and then bought an IUL from Doug Andrews. None of that exists in that verse. It just said that the, the, the servant said invested. That's it. That's all we know.
1: There must be somebody who is paying interest in order to earn more interest— and there's also those who are earning money on that. But the people who are paying interest to make more interest are the mega wealthy thrivers. See, we hear, hear people quip, there's two kinds of people in the world. Those who pay interest and those who earn interest. And I go, uh, no, 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 no. There's a third kind of person. Those who learn when it's wise to pay interest in order to make more interest. Now, I can assure you that a wealthy real estate investor, when they go to purchase a a property, they put the least amount down that they want to tie up so that they can have that money liquid and safe because money... I would have
0: probably worded that the opposite direction. I'm not trying to pay interest to make more interest. I'm trying to maximize my returns. And in some cases, paying interest or taking out a loan turns out that it's the best way to accomplish that task. I I look at it as a cost of being able to achieve my goal. I don't try to achieve the cost and then go look for the goal. I think that the way he worded that was a little bit weird. Like I don't seek out to pay interest and then try to find investments. It's I find the investment and I know that I can leverage somebody else's money, which frees up my money. I I got more to talk about that, but I just think he worded that a little backwards
1: money trapped in the real estate is not liquid when you need it. When you need it, the worst it's the hardest to get. I learned that lesson clear back in 1982 when I could not sell my house in a down market. Uh, The equity in the property was just a number on a sheet of paper. So I want to have my money liquid. I don't want it trapped in the property. I want to have it safe so that when the, the house goes down in value, I don't lose. My money is over here. Now, what a lot of people don't understand is where do you put money to where it is safer than in the real estate? See, like- so, he's going to say,
0: yeah, give it to me. That's where you put your money. So, he's not wrong here. If you were to take your money out of real estate, your, your house is going to continue to appreciate at whatever rate the house appreciates. However much cash you have in that house is irrelevant to the amount of appreciation that that house is making. So if the if the house appreciates and doubles in value, let's say goes from 500k to a million, and you still have a loan on that, you know, having all that cash in the property isn't going to make the property increase in value any faster you could refinance and take out as much cash as humanly possible. This will cause your mortgage to go up for sure because now you're having to pay more interest and more principal because you took the money out. But in that moment, you could sit on like $500,000 worth of cash that you have. And as long as you can find an investment vehicle that has a good long-term track record of producing more than whatever your loan is, you will make more money than you will ever spend on that mortgage. And as long as you're capable of continuing to do this, like you can actually fund the mortgage and continue to fund it without touching the money that you're pulling out and then investing somewhere else, you'll build wealth significantly faster because what you're doing is your house is going to continue to appreciate and you can continue taking the cash out. You take that cash, invest it somewhere else, and that continues to appreciate as well. So that way the cash that was sitting in the house is not doing nothing. And he's absolutely right here. And I do caution people a little bit. Anytime you're taking out debt, you're adding some risk. You have to have a good plan in order to maintain that. If you take out the debt and you stick it somewhere like, you know, index funds in the S&P 500, you have to know that those go down and we could have a bad economic year. The economy doesn't look great right now and people are predicting some horrible things to come. So in this current situation, there is risk. Also, like right now, interest rates are extremely high. So if you refinance, you're going to pay much more in interest than you would have otherwise. So there, there are you know some caveats here, but overall, the math makes a lot of sense. You will make tons more money by trying to get the uh, cash out of your properties and putting them into some kind of investment that has a good track record of returns more than whatever your interest rate is on your mortgage.
1: A lot of people think a paid off piece of real estate is, is the ultimate goal or dream. And I've seen many of those people, when they needed money, they couldn't get it back out because you have to qualify to borrow. When you have your money in a liquid position like... I- so, uh, so man,
0: I hate to be um, agreeing with Doug Andrews so much in a single video. <laughs> just got done saying, like, I think he's quoting the Bible to give himself some moral credibility just to scam you. And here I am like, oh, man, he's absolutely right. So he is absolutely right. And I made this argument one time and man, did it get a lot of fury, but if you pay off your house and that's your retirement plan, you can't count that house as part of your net worth. And that's why I'm always knocking Dave Ramsey. I'm like, how many millionaires who would still be millionaires if you didn't count their primary residence? That's an important figure. Most, uh, Polling companies, financial institutions will ask people what their net worth is with and without their primary residence. And the reason is you could have a $10 million house paid off. You could have a $20 house paid off. If you're just living in it and you're not taking out loans against it and you're not selling it, or in some cases, like what he's talking about here, if you don't have like a, like a, credit score at all because you follow the Dave Ramsey method, you can't take out loans against it because you have no ability to qualify or maybe the economy's tanking and you can't take out like a 10% interest rate on a mortgage because that's too high. Like right now, interest rates are continuing to climb. And if you can't do that, then you're kind of stuck. It doesn't matter if you have a $20 million, $10 million house or a $20 house, you're kind of stuck, right? You could sell it, but then you still have to go buy another house. And for most of us who live in like, you know, average homes, you're gonna, you know, move from your average home to another average home or below average home to try and scrape some cash out, and that whole process takes, you know, at least 30 days from the time of, you know, just putting in an offer on a home. It's just hard to get cash, right? So what what he's arguing for here is absolutely right. If you continue to take the cash out of your property and you were go put it somewhere that's going to grow over time, that will be available to you anytime that you need it. So if you lose your job, you'll have you know, assets there you can draw from. And we have arguments, you know, as to how you can get that tax-free and to the best advantage that you possibly can. But you have it there. It is there. Even if you get to the point where you're like, I don't know how I'm going to pay this mortgage. You got assets there. You could sell all of it and pay the entire mortgage off as long as you keep doing this transfer process and you're not spending a bunch of this money that you're pulling out. So a little disappointed that I keep agreeing with Doug Andrew, about what you're going
1: to do? I do in what I call my laser fund, I don't need to ask anybody's permission. I can access my money in less than 24 hours with an electronic funds transfer or a phone call. So, you want to use the leverage where you have liquidity because leverage without liquidity is stupidity. That is what gets people into trouble is when they leverage by using OPM, other people's money, the bank's money and then they don't have any liquidity. If I have access to my money and I use OPM, now I am becoming my own banker. So let me tell you what it means to become your own banker. So for... You,
0: You can't be your own banker. I mean, we'll listen to him and I'll argue against this, but he was right on the first part. As long as you are like pulling your money out of your house and you're putting it into assets you can access easily, then you'll be fine. You can always pull from those assets if you need to. Right. And as long as we're playing the long game we're being smart, we shouldn't need to pull from those assets. We have an emergency fund. So we're all set just in case any emergencies occur. And then the property, you know, we continue to just pay the mortgage off and we'll see an incredible amount of asset growth over the course of our lifetime. Maybe I'll sit down and kind of do an episode of what it looks like if you were to continually refinance, you know, maybe every five years and take out some equity and put it into index funds. And you can see how that growth would happen over time. Um, That's a good idea. I'll do that for the next episode. But you can't be your own banker. Like this this whole concept drives me nuts. Let's watch it and then I'll comment on it.
1: 45 years, I have taught many people how to become their own banker. Now, what do banks do? See, banks borrow our money and they might pay us one or two or 3% interest. Are they just a benevolent institution? No. Why we deposit our money in a bank whether it's $10,000 or if we passed a hat around and collected a million and we deposit it into a bank and they pay us 1%, let's say. Uh, that's 10000 a year. Why do they do that? Is it just sitting in a vault? No. The bank turns around and loans that money. Now, truth be known, they take 30 to 40% of those tier 1 assets for liquidity and safety and they put it into financial institutions ranked... Six notches higher in safety than they are, the multi-trillion-dollar insurance industry where they earn four or five percent.
0: We debunked this before. They don't actually do that. They they take out you know insurance policies against their executives, and then they use that in order to pay for their executives' um, benefits because executives cost a lot of money because they're executives, but they don't actually use, you know, as an investment tool for customer money. We've debunked that. And what they do, like what they do have, like banked owned um, assets or ba- bank owned insurance assets are not the same as what we have access to. And that's including IUL. So it's a little fuzzy to be like, banks do this. So you should too. And as um, DC said in our last episode, like saying that anybody does something. So you should also do it takes away a lot of complexities. Like, Rich people pay accountants bucket tons of money. Rich people have lawyers on retainer all the time, right? Those aren't things that you should do simply because the rich is doing it. That doesn't make any sense.
1: Wait a minute here. So they pay us 1%, 10,000 to borrow our million. And they turn around and they put it into an insurance institution and they earn 5%. How much more is five than one? Now, some people say four. No, 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 it's 500% more
0: well it it is four more than one that's mathematically accurate (laughs) it is also 500 percent of one it's not 500 percent more it's 500 percent of one it is four more that's mathematically accurate that's the right language to use so i don't know why this is he's made he's made this weird argument in another episode that we watched i don't quite understand it like i think it's like a like a quick grab of credibility. Like, oh, yeah. Like, look, you were wrong about the 4 and I was right about the 500%. So, you should listen to me. I I guess that's what it is. I don't really know.
1: See, the bank pays 10,000 in interest to us who have our money in the bank. They actually turn around and increase the liquidity and the safety by 5 notches higher. Uh, You could bypass the middleman for long-term goals which I teach in another episode. For long-term strategies, just bypass the middleman. You can put your money in the same insurance institution the banks put your money into and earn 5%. Okay, that's 50,000 instead of 10,000.
0: Or just invest your own money and earn above 10% and not pay this guy a bunch of commissions and fees to lie to you about his return on investment. We broke down a video a while back. Let's go big. We broke down a video a while back showing that like they're kind of real fudging the numbers here on the return on investment when it comes to this stuff, that what they said was nearly a 10% return of their customer was closer to a 4% return. And at the same time, the market returned an average of 14.2 per year. And that same person would have had $1.5 million. And instead by going through Doug, Andrew, he, or I guess his son, Aaron, he had 650 K right? So, we, we even showed the disparity in what you know, he's talking about here. You want to really cut out the middleman, just go invest the money yourself into an index fund. Real simple.
1: That is 5 times. Let me word it this way. Would you hire an employee for $10,000 that made you an extra $50,000? Would you buy a widget machine for $10,000 that made you an extra $50,000? See, that's a 500% return, 5 times return on employment costs or equipment costs that's what banks do you can become your own banker and do the same thing
0: no you can't so what he's saying here is like look you put your money in the bank the bank turns around and invests it and they give you a small percentage of the returns and he's trying to make it sound like the bank is borrowing your money and paying you interest on the borrowed money that's not really the case the bank doesn't have a duty to pay you in interest they just do you know, they can change that at any time. We've seen the interest rates go up and down on savings <laughs> regularly. They could do that however they want. And then they take the money that you have in there. They're only required to hold on to 90% or to 10% of your money. They can uh, turn around and invest the other 90%. They turn around and invest it. They give it out as loans. Then they turn around and sell these loans to Freddie May and Fannie Mac. All right, Freddie Mac and Fannie Mae. There we go um or they issue credit cards and then they they drop, you know, a couple of pennies in your account to make up for the fact that they used your money. That's what the bank is doing. Now can you do that yourself? No, you can't do that yourself. You can't put your money in your own financial institution and then what? Like borrow money from yourself and then, you know, give put it into something that's producing some interest rate and then sprinkle that back onto yourself. Like it it doesn't make logical sense. You can't do it. What he's saying here and what they're arguing for is that if you put your money into a financial institution in which you can borrow against your assets, as opposed to um, just, you know, as opposed to just like taking your assets out, um, that that somehow becomes your own bank because you could borrow against your assets. That's like saying your house is your own bank because you can have a HELOC or you could refinance it. You know, none of that makes any sense. This be your own bank. And then they'll go through and knock the banks around because they'll say like, look at how bad banks are. You could be your own bank. And then meanwhile, they're taking all the commissions and fees for everything that they're offering you. Like they are the ones taking the money. The insurance company's taking the money <laughs> from you instead of the bank. Now that's exactly what's happening. Didn't make your own bank. You just moved who you're paying fees to.
1: So for example, in 2007, December of that year, I could see the writing on the wall that we were going to have a major mortgage meltdown and crash.
0: I I don't believe him. There were very few people who could see that this problem was coming. Very few. And people who saw it were being extremely loud about it and nobody was picking that up. So doug andrew the guy who's smart enough to sell you iul which is not a safe investment vehicle which he's making tons of commissions on which isn't going to produce very much returns that guy is claiming that he puts all his money into this laser fund that he invented himself is capable of seeing that this the housing market was going to have a giant collapse in 2008 i sincerely doubt that
1: and so i refinanced my house to the hilt and I, I took out that money and let's say I borrowed that money at four and a half percent. Actually, it was lower than that. But because it's tax deductible,
0: then then why would he say four and a half percent? Why would he say I borrowed my money at four and a half percent? Actually, it was lower than that. Okay, well then tell us the amount. Was it four? Three and a half? Like what? That's such a weird statement.
1: Which I always look to tax deduct my interest in some way or another. That I teach in many other episodes.
0: So he does this logical fallacy a lot. I'm gonna go big here so I can explain this one to you. We talked about it earlier in the episode. Don't make financial decisions on how to deduct money from paying the IRS and taxes. It doesn't make sense to work it out that way. If you can figure out how to avoid taxes by not taking losses, do it. We're huge fans of real estate investing. You can write off interest on real estate investing. You can depreciate the value of the property. Um, you can roll your losses over from year to year. So as long as you're getting cash flow and it looks like you're at a loss, you don't have to pay taxes. You can sell a property. So once the property, you can't depreciate it anymore and you can't use that as a tax benefit, um, you could sell the property and buy a like kind property and start the whole process all over again. And it's called a 1031 exchange and you push all the equity into the next property and you pay no taxes on it. We're all for not paying taxes, but... A deduction is just a percentage of it, like of your overall income being lowered because of something, right? So like if, if you were to be like, oh, look, man, I'm paying 20 grand in taxes. I'm going to go donate 20 grand to a, you know, I don't know, an orphanage, right? And that should cover my taxes, right? It doesn't, it lowers your income by 20 grand. That's it. So now that 20 grand if it was being taxed at a 2% rate let's say will be about 4 grand worth in taxes. So now your 20 grand in taxes is now only 16 grand. So you save $4,000 but you spent $20,000 to do it. So that's the logical fallacy is if you are trying to avoid taxes at all costs, you could end up paying more money in order to avoid taxes. And that's what, not what we're trying to accomplish here. We want to avoid taxes, but we won't want to do it at all costs. We want to do it only when it makes sense so that we can maximize our returns. And if we have to pay taxes after we maximize our returns, and that's the cheapest thing that we can accomplish, all right, fine, we'll pay it.
1: But 4.5% interest, let's say on a million dollars, that's 45000 But I get to deduct that off my tax return in a 33% tax bracket, it doesn't cost me 45,000 because I'm writing it off and I get to save a third of that or 15,000 in tax. So my net cost of the mortgage is 30,000. 30,000 is 3% of a million. Do you know where I put that money I borrowed out of my house? This is just me but for liquidity and safety, I put it over into my laser fund where from 2008 to 2012, 13, 14, 15. I earned an average of 8% net at the worst in the worst portfolio. In the better portfolios, I earned 11 and netted 10. Let's just take the the 9 netting 8. How much more?
0: So what, what he's doing here is he's telling you like there are fees associated with the insurance. So when you first buy the insurance, you have to pay up front a lot of fees. And so you pay up front and then your cash value goes up just a smidgen. Boop, boop, you pay like this much cash value is like, right. And we saw that last week with uh, DC and his, he gave us a scenario at a certain point, the fees can just be taking, taken out of the accumulation, the appreciation of your cash value. And that's what he's saying here is like, eventually you get to the point where like, let's say we, we get 11, I netted 10, right? Because they're going to just take the fees out. And this is what we were talking about. Technically speaking, the floor isn't zero. It's, zero minus whatever the fees are because they'll start withdrawing fees from your account. So if it's zero for too long and you're not making enough appreciation on your money, your account, your IOL could collapse on itself, especially if you take out loans against your IOL and they're taking out the interest on the loans against that cash value. You could get to the point where it doesn't have enough money to keep the plan going and the whole thing dies and you lose everything. That's a possibility. So what what he's forgetting here is he's not talking about the fees that came from the front end, the amount of fees that you paid at the beginning. He's just talking about what they're shaving off after you got to that point. When we looked at the numbers from the CPA, we could see that they were telling him, you have a 10% return on your cash, but it was only like a 4% once you calculated in the fees that he paid up front. And that's a lot of money that could have been invested in the best possible times. You notice that Doug says from 2008 to 2015, like some of the best return times in the market to ever have happened. He is explaining it like he's did such a great job. He got between eight and 11%. And after fees, he made like 7 to 10% or something to that effect. The market returned over 14% in that small time frame. And you could have made so much more money if you put the money in the market yourself. But he's going to take a little snapshot and he's going to tell you, and he's going to ignore the front end fees. and He's just going to tell you like, you could be doing this, it's safe. And you could be paying me commissions. But, you know, let's not worry about that part.
1: Or is eight, than three, or nine, than three. It's 300%. There are uh, many periods where I earned 10%. If I borrowed money at 3% tax deductible, it's a net cost of two. And I made 10, how much more is 10 than two? 500% and that was the same period bank.
0: That's not how much more it is. (laughs) Again, he's using the wrong mathematical language to try and sound smart and he's screwing it up. As an engineer, I'm telling you, that's not the right mathematical language. But um, he's not wrong, so if you take out money like 3% alone and you turn around and you put it in something that has a good, strong, consistent return, like an index fund, for example, then you're making 10% while paying 3%. This is not financial advice. I'm just telling you what's physically possible. You could take out money from your house through a loan, get a low interest rate. Not right now. Interest rates are terrible. But when interest rates are better, take out something like 4.5% and then turn around and put it in index funds that are producing at least on average 10.5% right? And you'll make the difference there. Because even if you have to start withdrawing from your index funds to pay your mortgage, at that point, who cares? You're making more money on the index funds. Your index funds are growing at a faster rate than the mortgage can cost you. So he's, he's absolutely right on that. And that's the whole concept of leverage is, can I borrow money for cheap? And can I turn around and make more money off of that than what's costing me to borrow that money?
1: So we're borrowing our money at one, and earning five. Loaning it back to us at five or putting it in an insurance company. So, I'm my own banker. Banks are making 500%. I'm making 500%. We're both happy.
0: <laughs> I learned how to leverage and that makes me a bank. <laughs> no, that doesn't make you a bank. <laughs> that, that... This whole point are like... Uh, just, I, and I know it's a personal thing. Like, it just bothers me that that's the description we're using of leverage. It's just leverage, man. It's just leverage.
1: People who do not understand this concept are unhappy. So the point is that... why are they unhappy? Like,
0: I'm not saying that like I'm going to ever turn into Dave Ramsey and start doing it Dave Ramsey's way. And I'm not unhappy doing that, but I don't think that people who are doing it Dave Ramsey's way are unhappy. I mean, a lot of them tell me that they've been successful at it and they're very happy. I'd, You know, not everyone has to be crazy about trying to maximize returns as we are or as Doug is. Not everyone has to do that. They're not unhappy for not having done that.
1: There are many periods of time where I make three hundred percent or five hundred percent. In other words, the net cost of borrowing the money on the real estate might be three, two, three and a half, or four. But if I borrowed at 6% in a 33% tax bracket, it's a net cost of 4%, okay? There are many times I've earned 8% tax-free in my laser fund, for example. How much more is 8 than 4? Would you hire an employee for 40000 that made you an extra 80000
0: So, here's the problem, like, and I've pointed this out before and I know this is not the point of this episode. But here's the problem with what he just said. It's not accumulating tax-free. I mean, it's accumulating tax-free, but the second you withdraw it, you pay taxes on it, and in some cases, you pay fees on that as well. So it's not tax-free when it's withdrawn. So in order to make it tax-free, you have to take out a loan against your account. So it has to be a loan because debt is not taxed. And we talked about this before when he's like, you could take out your money tax-free, tax-free, tax-free. It's all debt. Debt is tax-free. That's not a novel concept. You could take out debt anywhere. Right, and so what he's saying is like I have access to my money. It's liquid because I can take out a loan. Ah, I don't know if that's true. We could take out a like a HELOC against a house, and that doesn't suddenly make our house liquid. I think that's a weird argument to make. But he could take out the loan. The problem is now the interest exists on that loan, right? So if you're taking out that loan from your you know cash value life insurance, and you're going to use that loan for something that's going to produce a higher interest rate. Well then, you know, so be it because now you're leveraging your loan against your uh, cash value. But if you start taking out a loan against your cash value plan and start using it in order to cover yourself, like let's say you have an emergency and you have to pay this mortgage down on like he's talking about and you take out loans to do it, you're adding new interest to this entire scenario because you're paying new interest That wasn't previously there. And granted, your asset can grow at a faster rate than the interest is on the loan. But you were also kind of planning on taking the loan out from your house and putting it into this laser fund that he invented. It's just Index Universal Life Insurance that he sells and he gave a fancy name to. You could put it in there. The whole concept was you were gonna gain you know, at at a faster rate than you're paying on that loan. So you have this loan, and you put your money in a laser fund to gain more than you're paying on this loan. And then if you run into trouble, you'll take out a loan against this and put it against this. And now you're gaining interest on that loan and this loan. And is that amount of money accumulating in your IUL enough to cover the interest on both? Maybe not. I don't know. So he kind of skips over that a little bit because he likes to pretend that this whole thing is like liquid and tax-free. And he doesn't really tell you, like he does in some videos, he gets into the specifics, but on most of the time, he's just blurting it out in hopes that you just don't understand what he's talking about. So that way you get all excited about it. That's what I think he's doing.
1: Thousand. The key is when you do this, you have tremendous liquidity. If you have an emergency, you can access your money because it's not tied up. The real estate is going to go up in value or if you use it for cash flow. So, the best way in real estate is you've got to determine are you wanting to get cash flow income sooner or later or do you just want to buy maybe fix up the property and flip it for a gain and then you're going to have a capital gains tax. A lot of people like real estate because you can depreciate it, you can write off the interest But when you understand safe positive leverage, it makes all the difference in the world. In fact, in another episode, I have a story of a man who refinanced his duplexes and fourplexes because he was killing his partner and he didn't realize it. Uncle Sam paying it off. So, he resurrected the deductions and that allowed him to take money out of his IRAs of 401Ks with no tax because the new resurrected deduction offset the tax when he was taking money out of an IRA or 401k. All
0: right, that's the end. So at the end there, you'd have to like take out, like you'd have to have quite a bit of interest to cover your withdrawals from your 401k, if that was his argument. Like you'd have to pay quite a bit of interest to do that. And again, you have to pay the same amount of interest that you're taking out from your 401k or IRA in order to make that zero. I I don't quite understand the argument there. You know, like I get that he's trying to offset costs, but again, it just looks like he's trying to not pay taxes at all costs. Like, Hey, look, if you do this like horrible financial thing, you pay no taxes. Well, I got an idea. If you quit your job today, you pay no taxes. Problem solved. We're never paying taxes. Obviously that doesn't make any sense, right? Our and, that, and a job, that's a really good example. A job is our best cash flowing asset, right? We spend a little bit of time where well, a lot of time in a lot of cases, and then we get back cash as a result, right? It's a great investment tool because that's the easiest thing to trade is your time for money. And then you're going to get taxed on it. And I'm not, you know, and I don't think he's going to say like, stop working in order to not pay taxes. Obviously you keep working. So you don't make all your decisions around not paying taxes. That doesn't make any sense. You got to maximize the amount of money that you're getting in, as well as the amount that your money is growing in your investments over time. And you want to be forward-looking. I'm not saying don't be forward-looking. Like, put your money in a Roth IRA so you're not paying taxes on the tail end. You can also do some creative stuff when it comes to getting cash in the future. Like, you can refinance houses. And as long as the real estate is self-sufficient, as long as your your uh, tenants are able to pay the mortgage amount for you, you could take that cash and do whatever you want with it. It really doesn't matter. So there's, there's plenty of ways you can get tax-free money when you retire. Being forward-looking is smart, but, you know, selling your... Or, losing out on Trump or paying a tremendous opportunity cost in order to like, you know, take a little bit of a tax savings just is a ridiculous concept. All right. So let me summarize this entire thing for you as simply as humanly possible, because again, Dave waves around a bunch of terms and he's, and he's just being confusing. If you take out a loan at a low percent and you turn around and put that money into something that's consistently good over time and Um, A good one is just the real estate in general. You take out a small loan, you buy a piece of property with that loan, that property will appreciate faster than the interest costs on the property most years, right? So on average, that's true. Not always. Right now, properties are a little bit wonky, but on average, that's true. And if that's true, that means you're gaining wealth faster than you're paying, even though you took out a loan. And the goal is to gain wealth faster than you're paying out. And as long as you're gaining wealth faster than whatever the loan costs you, at the end, it's a wash. The risk is if you get into a situation where you're needing cash and you can't get it and you can't pay for that loan or the 2008. Or the big problem with like the two thousand eight crash, where people were you know leveraged to the max, they had all these properties, and then they were on adjustable rate mortgages. So when the rates adjusted and they couldn't afford the new rate, their idea was I could just sell the property and get rid of this mortgage altogether. But property values dropped significantly. So if you have like a perfect storm like that, where your property loses value, so you can't sell it, um, you haven't. You know, adjustable rate mortgage. So the mortgage is going up and you can't afford it. You didn't plan on a crash. You don't have any liquid assets that you can sell off in order to pay for this kind of stuff. You're going to be in trouble. So the end of the story is if you're going to do this kind of leveraging, right? This money arbitrage, if you will, and take out low interest debt and try to produce a higher amount of return, you need to make sure you're doing it safely, and by doing it safely, we don't run the risk of having a 2008 happen to us. And so by safely, I mean when I take out like the loans against my properties, when I buy them in Texas... I add more to the down payment to ensure that if there is a dip, I'm still not going negative and I have enough equity in the property in case we do see some kind of crash. I then make sure I have enough invested in other liquid assets. It's not just in real estate. I also put money into things like index funds. So if anything were to happen, I could sell these index funds and pay some of these debts off. And lastly, you can have an emergency fund in case anything happens. And I have an emergency fund both for myself and for my properties. My properties have their own emergency fund. They can survive for about six months or so without any tenants at all because I have enough cash in there just in case something were to happen. So these are the kind of strategies that you want to incorporate so that you can leverage safely and make sure that when you're doing any kind of strategy like this that you don't run the risk of a 2008 happening. So we got to the end of the video, and Doug Andrew was right about a lot of it. I think he he kind of fuzzes over a lot. He makes stuff a little bit more complicated than it has to be. At the end of the day, you're just taking out a loan, and you're hoping you get a higher return on whatever you're going to use that cash for. That's basically it, and that's called leverage. That's it. It's not terribly complicated. If You sit down and do the numbers on it. It looks great over a long period of time, and that's why real estate is such a tremendous investment vehicle because you can buy a lot of real estate with very little of your own cash and it will appreciate and provide cash flow over time. Uh, The part where I don't agree is the IUL part. No need to give Doug Andrew your money to accomplish any of this stuff. Everything he described here can be accomplished with a taxable brokerage account and you put your own money in and you get a higher return because you're not paying this guy to shave off huge amounts of your money. So before you take off, make sure to hit the like button and subscribe, go to wealthyidiots.com for articles and updates and tools, and I want to thank you guys for stopping by. I'll see you guys next time.